Hey there, everyone. This is Herm from Into the Weird. I'm busily prepping our next episode, which is all about time travel, Kang the Conqueror, uh, the recent Quantum Mania Marvel movie with Ant-Man that has dropped, has inspired me to deliver a show on this topic. And since Kang is my favorite villain, that's another good reason why he needs to be covered by Into the Weird. It's a shame that we haven't even talked about him much over the last four years of podcasting. But since I'm still compiling the episode and it will take a couple more days, I've decided to lay some extras on you in the form of an old Patreon episode loosely related to time travel. I mean, if you can count the Hyborian Age and the pre-cataclysmic age where Volusia ruled supreme as a kingdom... I guess that's kind of us traveling back in time, isn't it? So without further waffling on my part, that's what we're offering up on Into the Weird as a bonus episode, one of our old Patreon episodes that so far we haven't released to the public yet. It's episode six of Radio Free Hyboria. Enjoy. <laughs> Radio Free Iboria, episode 6. This is Herman the Iborian, back for another blood fest where we wade our way through these teeming masses of scum, Picts, Aquilonians, mercenaries, buccaneers, freebooters, <laughs> Hyperboreans, elder gods, what, what have you, right? And I'm joined as ever <laughs> by my friend Billy the Bloody Barbarian. Billy, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm just here uh, getting ready to jump into a pit and fight some giant worms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's going to happen, <laughs> at least in our minds, living vicariously mm -hmm. through the conqueror himself, Cull of Illusia. Things are going to get mm -hmm. Lovecraftian later on. Mm -hmm. So we're discussing sp uh, specifically for you patrons out there, uh, Conan the Barbarian number six, that was published in June or cover dated June 1971, but on sale March 23rd, 1971. And then we're also going to be talking Call the Conqueror, number six. And that was cover dated January 1973, but on sale October the 24th, 1972. So about a year difference between these two issues when they were published. Conan obviously mm -hmm. coming first. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and give the details for Conan. Billy, you're going to give the details for Call. And then mm -hmm. you go first with the synopsis for Conan, the Twitter-style synopsis of uh, 280 characters or more. A little mm -hmm. bit more is fine. <laughs> and then I'm mm -hmm. going to go first after your details for Cull. I'll do the synopsis for Cull first. All right, heading into Conan here. Of course, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Barry Wind Windsor-Smith, inked by Sal Buscema, lettered by Mike Stevens. The cover is by Barry Windsor-Smith as well. And this was reprinted recently in the Conan... Volume 1, it's kind of an epic collection that Marvel put out. Also, the Conan Omnibus Volume 1 by Marvel recently. I'm reading it in my Conan Chronicles Volume 1. Uh, but you can also find it in issue form. Original issues might be hard to come by, but it was reprinted Oof. in Giant Size Conan Number 3, Conan Saga Number 2, and Conan Classics Number 6. And mm -hmm. uh, that's it for the details. Mr. Billy, mm -hmm. what do you have for your synopsis? 
Okay, young Conan enters Shadazar the Wicked. After disposing of two thieves and stealing their gold, he meets the beautiful Jenna. As the two kiss under the moon, Jenna is kidnapped as Conan is KO'd by unknown assailants. Conan must then infiltrate a temple and save her from a giant one-eyed bat. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Great, Mr. B. <laughs> All right. What do you got? Uh, similar to yours, uh, just a few differences. In the dank alleys of Shadazar, Conan happens upon treasure and the comely tavern wench, Jenna, who convinces him to melt down his gold and cast it in the shape of a heart. Then the crazy hits as Conan battles the night god and his acolytes to prevent Jenna from becoming a huge bat demon's midnight snack. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so similar to yours, <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. really a fairly straightforward story here. Yeah, for sure. Now, a bit of trivia here before we start. Billy, this is one of Roy Thomas's favorite Conan issues. Wow. And yeah, if you read interviews with him in various magazines and so forth, mostly by Tomorrow's Alter Ego and the like, Back Issue magazine. And also, of course, Roy uh, recently published, or not recently, a couple of years ago, he published the the kind of the Conan the Barbarian uh, literary biography of Conan the Barbarian called Barbarian Life in two volumes. Mm -hmm. He says that Devil Wings Over Shadazar, as the story is called, is his favorite out of the 115 issues that he did of Conan. Um, wow. In that classic run. And he says Barry also let himself go here with the art because he penciled and created this entire city of Shadazar all, you know, by himself from his imagination. Now, Shadazar was mentioned by Robert E. Howard in the books, but there was never actually a Conan tale in the short stories, I should say, in Weird Tales, hmm. where Conan actually had an adventure in Shadazar. So that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, because you'll see Shadazar pop up and be mentioned many, many times in the Marvel comics. Oh, yes, definitely. He will return to Shadazar again and again, mm-hmm. especially during his thief days, but also in his latter days, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then this tower of this night god is definitely very, you know, epic in, in mm. scope. And I love the fact yeah. that I love it when Conan battles a cult and a and a rogue elder god that's <laughs> been worshipped by this cult. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right, yeah. so Billy, what do you think about the cover? Um, I like it. It's not you know my favorite, but I do like it. It's pretty good. I like you know the, uh, of course the Conan the Barbarian there. You know logo is awesome. I love it how it looks like you know like weathered stone uh, mm-hmm. where it says Conan, and then we have two uh, beauties uh, on this cover that are uh, you know ones in the grasp of this. Uh, crazy bat creature and then the other one sitting on top like almost looks like she's using her mental powers to control the beast and there's conan yeah swinging like a a torch uh, after it yeah i mean that's jenna on top there uh yeah seeming to control this beast i love the fact that the name of the the issue devil wings over shadows are written on the wing of this bat demon but yeah. um, uh, interesting cover, very dynamic. It's got Conan leaping onto the swing of this bat demon to save <laughs> these two damsels. It's uh, definitely very in- impressive. Uh, but not, mm-hmm. you know, Barry Windsor Smith, in my mind, though, I don't remember him for his covers, really. His covers don't always... It's not because the penciling's bad. It's just the concept of his covers is not very interesting to me uh, yeah, most yeah, times. I but, would totally you know. agree. And this is one of those issues that Stanley had a, a gripe with because he, like I famously said before... 
he hated animals on comic book covers, and that's why he <laughs> criticized the Conan title. He says because the sales were slowly dropping during the first ten issues. Did, were you aware of that, yeah. Billy? I mean, started off great, mm-hmm. and then slowly the yeah. sales started dropping. And st- when Roy Thomas asked Stan about it, Stan said it's because you featured too many animals on the covers. Every single cover has had a giant spider or a bat or something. So get rid of that. A snake, you know, make the covers more varied and and interesting. Draw some monsters in there, not just animals. (laughs) Which might have been the reason because the sales did start to pick up after that. But also after John Buscema got on the title, uh, Barry Windsor Mm. is still a master and his penciling just became better and better. But arguably, yeah. I would I would think you could say that though the pin the, the sales picked up at the end of Barry Windsor Smith's run, they really started to go through the roof with John Buscema on the title. Mm, yeah, he's just he's a master. He you know no offense to to Barry uh, Barry, Barry Windsor Smith, <laughs> but that's that's always who comes to mind immediately to me when I think about Conan. It's Same. it's John Buscema. John yeah. Buscema inked by Ernie Chan, preferably, mm. but also Alfredo Alcala or yeah. others. Uh, I love magazines. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Those are the guys I associate with mm-hmm. with our uh, strapping barbarian from the Bronze Age. So, mm-hmm. Billy, let's get into the story. Great opening splash mm-hmm. page with Conan standing there. He's still wearing his horned helm. Although this issue will be famous for Conan finally ditching the helm on the advice of a lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too funny. That is really weird. But uh, mm-hmm. wow, this opening splash. Huh? What do you say about that? Oh, it's it's incredible. I mean, and you really, again, they are really trying to impress upon you, I think, uh, for sure, Perry Windsor Smith and Roy Thomas here, that, you know, this is a young Conan. He's, I don't say he's a kid, but he's not much more than a kid. So, you know, he's not all jacked and ripped and everything. He's just like a slender, you know, he, he does look like, you know, a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old here walking uh, Yeah, walking apparently around. he's even younger at this point in time, chronologically Speaking oh, yeah, of this maybe place, 17. Him at 17, yeah, yeah, because he sacked Venarium at the age of 15, and then he traveled with the Asia for a year. Uh, that would make him 16 then when we first encounter him in Conan the Barbarian issue number one. And yeah. then, you know, uh, you know, everything that happened with him in Hyperborea, he was a slave for a while, and then he escaped and all of his other adventures. I'd say, yeah, around 16, 17 so very young, but you know Conan being a giant in stature, he's still growing. He's going to be mm-hmm. much taller and much bulkier soon. This is him in his lithe panther-like form. Soon he'll become more like a mountain, like a tiger or lion type, you know. Form. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting how he evolved as a character. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Shadowsar the Wicked, great city. It seemed that Barry Windsor Smith took some inspiration from Russia, or you know, the Kremlin, or Baghdad, Pakistan, something. Pakistan, yeah. yeah. He, uh, mm. he, yeah, ancient Persia. He happens upon mm-hmm. these two thieves. Now, Billy, here's a bit of an interesting aside <laughs> uh, for you. These two thieves are based upon Fafford and the Grey Mouser from the writer Fritz Lieber. Well, that's funny. Now, if you think about the annals of sor- great sorcer- sword and sorcery. Uh, short stories and and books three names come to mind of course you've got robert e howard as a writer then you've got michael mm-hmm. moorcock who invented Alric. oh yeah mm-hmm. and then you've got fritz lieber who did fafford mm-hmm. and the gray mauser they were very popular and om- they almost rivaled conan in popularity and mm-hmm. pop tales and and subsequent tales now they came after of course much like Alric from michael moorcock way after conan but conan was served as the inspiration for them these two are Fafford and the Grey Mouser. They're arguing over spoils, 
And then Conan just <laughs> leaps inside the middle and says, since there's three gold ornaments that you recently stole, I'll take one of them off your hands, and then you have one each. <laughs> that settles the matter. And they're like, Mitra! Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. So now, interesting, in issue 17, I think, or 18 of Conan the Barbarian, volume 1, Fafford, uh, Fafnir, I should say, this Fafnir character will make a return. And mm -hmm. he will famously go on to become one of Conan's sporadic companions, much like uh, Zula, the black uh, warrior oh, yeah. from later issues. Yep. But Fafford, or Fafnir, I should call him, will show up again. But he will only sport one arm in later issues. So this character will definitely, we'll, we'll see him again. But uh, Conan just ends up, after Black Rat accidentally stabs his partner when Conan ducks, he kicks Black Rat <laughs> yeah. in the face. Just as you should have done, dog. Doof. <laughs> hey, I love it when he calls people dog. <laughs> I love it. And then he mm -hmm. takes all of the ornaments. Now, first, he vacillates between returning it to their rightful owner. And then he says, no, he's probably dead. Well, I should give mm -hmm. it to his next of kin. No, they'll probably just waste it. Okay, it's I'll go drinking with it. Yeah, screw it. I'm taking it. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably just squander the gold. But man, what a panel that is where he's thinking to himself there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, beautiful. Look at those, the way mm. he drew the helmet, the glint off the steel there. The mm -hmm. Conan sort of musing about what to do next. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Now, Billy, let's not mince words here. Conan goes to a whorehouse. <laughs> this is not a tavern, <laughs> as they described it, because the lady who's at the... there It's full of these alluring ladies standing all over the place. And oh, yeah. There's a, mm. a, a lady... Standing outside saying, welcome, Outlander, to the house of Su Wong. Now, <laughs> Billy, there is a book and a movie called, I only, you know, know about the book. I didn't see the movie. The World of Susie Wong. Do you know that uh, <laughs> book and movie? That is about no. a, a girl in a, basically a prostitute, you know, a girl <laughs> in a, in a, uh, you know, a whorehouse, <laughs> you know, so interesting, very interesting. This is definitely Conan just got it. You know what he's looking for. He sort of gets it too, mm -hmm. right? Billy? What happens? He's, oh, he's yeah. in this tavern, you know, quote unquote, air quotes tavern. What happens, Billy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, he walks in there. Like I said, he's just women everywhere, but then you get these uh, two meatheads wrestling in the middle. I don't know if they're trying to impress the ladies or what, but right away, uh, He's uh, picked out of the crowd here by the beautiful Jenna. Yeah. And um, Jenna sits on the table. <laughs> what mm -hmm. does that mean? Obviously, she's into Conan, right? But then oh, yeah. she gets knocked mm -hmm. off the table. And Conan's gold gets you know, knocked on the floor by these two wrestlers. And Conan just pushes them off he the table. Pissed. And he calls this one guy a kushtite. But then... This black dude takes offense. He punches Conan in the face. He says, I'm a prince of Zimbabwe. Now, Conan, <laughs> this is one of the only times I can remember Conan getting punched in the face and the guy that did, that did the deed not dying as a result of that. Because or Conan getting, you know, is, beaten to a pulp, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says, so you're prince of Zimbabwe, eh? Well, come closer and I'll crown you prince of hell. <laughs> 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 and he bloodied Conan's nose there. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, and then the other wrestler steps and he says, we meant no offense, sheath your weapon, we don't want trouble. And listen to this guy's name. 
This the, the black guy's name. This is a horrible name. Nubion. What? <laughs> yeah, that's Nubian. <weird. laughs> that's just one one step away from Nubian. Nubion. Yeah. Right. Anyway, that's so kinda, they, it's kind of weird. <laughs> no, it's very weird. They're taking their sport elsewhere. And then mm-hmm. Jenna saw what was in the bag, and she's obviously focused on these riches. So she mm-hmm. accompanies Conan outside, and first she convinces him to melt down the riches, though, for going to her uncle's house, who's a blacksmith um, and probably a jeweler, who knows. He, he melts down Conan's gold because it's easier to carry. But Jenna mm-hmm. said, please put it in the shape of a golden heart. <laughs> this is yeah, some no really weird stuff. It. No reason for it at all, like you said. Other than oh, it'd be just easier to carry one thing instead of three. And then Conan's like, "Yeah, but I could sell three things separately, and now I can only sell one." <laughs> yeah. Oh well. So you might get yeah. Who who knows? But he he follows along because Jenna sort of wrapped him around her finger, right? Would wouldn't you say? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he's like, well, like we said, he's horny, first of all. So, you know, oh, hey, yeah. horny. And then there's this beautiful woman is saying, let's do this. He's like, OK, that's right. He just follows along with her. And then he, they head out on the to the outskirts of the city into this desert, you know, mm-hmm. oasis type area. What happens? <laughs> These cultists show up and they basically, much like a dog, they beat Conan with a stick until he's unconscious. <laughs> yeah. And this this was a good uh, uh, I. I don't know. I, I feel like most people that have, you know, read Conan up to this point would have been thinking, oh, you know, this woman's taking him out there because she's part of some ruse where, you know, he's going to get jumped and she's going to make off with the money. And that's not what happens. She's just as surprised to see these uh, robed, hooded men as, you know, Conan is. And like I said, they knock him completely out. But he does uh, tear off a piece of one of their robes and then. He wakes up and he has the piece of the cloth from the robe, and then he also has the heart that they just left. They didn't all they care wanted about was riches. the girl. Yeah, they just wanted the girl. Mm-hmm. So they look kind of like yeah. ninjas, right, Billy? They look like GI Joe sort type of. ninjas. Yeah. yeah, Storm Shadow, mm-hmm. Storm Shadow's pals. So what happens is Conan he heads back to the city to look for Jenna because he's got some feelings for this girl now. She's already like, uh, you know basically stolen his heart well not yet we'll find out with the double meaning behind that (laughs) she hasn't stolen the golden heart Mm -hmm. she's stolen his actual heart so he runs back to her uncle and he tells his uncle that she's been abducted he's about to help him out when he when conan shows him the piece of rope that he ripped that he tore off yeah and immediately the guy just puts back his sword and says forget her lad she's as good as dead so it turns out <laughs> she was captured by this cult of the night god. And once a month, a girl disappears off of the streets to be sacrificed to this night god. And nobody in Shadazar the Wicked does anything about it. They're too afraid of this yep. god's retribution. And mm-hmm. he points out the temple to Conan. And Conan immediately sets off to rescue her. Yeah. Now, Billy, there's one thing, though, that's weird about this comic. Notice Conan's weaponry. He doesn't mm-hmm. have a sword. He only has <laughs> a dagger. Because, but this is this is strange here. So he heads mm-hmm. off to this night god temple, which is this giant uh, dome, but it also mm-hmm. has this uh, sort of circular temple at the top. And then he attacks one of the cultists walking up the steps, punches him out, dons his robes, <laughs> and infiltrates the Pimps, place. Pimp slaps him. Yeah, but one of these, what would you call them? These drug adult. Uh, acolytes who sit there getting high, smoking. He recognizes stoners, Conan. Stoners, yeah, stoners. Yeah. 
Stoners, yeah. Say, tell mm-hmm. it what, like it is. It's a stoner. Mm-hmm. He Absolutely, recognizes yeah. Conan as an infiltrator because he knows that only people with dark eyes are allowed to serve the night god. And since Conan has mm-hmm. blue eyes, but then this this drug addict, he's so his brain <laughs> is so adult. He just says, "Go right ahead, do what you will. <laughs> I don't care." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep, he's like, where's my next uh, opium hit here? <laughs> exactly. Now, then Conan hits up to the top and he sees the high priestess and they're about to sacrifice Jenna to whatever monstrosity they're calling by mm-hmm. ringing a bell. And this bell does not seem to affect any of the acolytes. This bell is ridiculously loud, apparently. Uh, the yeah. acolytes and the priestess herself, They've become immune to the effect of its sound. But Conan and Jenna, they're in pain. Jenna's screaming in pain. Conan mm-hmm. is 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 losing his sense of balance here from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's almost going deaf and he kills over. Yeah. And then the priestess just ignores him and she keeps calling to this demon. Now, she is beautiful, this priestess. Even though you've got she's got this permanent evil sneer. <laughs> Right, Billy, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she has that evil Sal Buscema sneer. But, she, yeah, she is super hot. And then, I don't know if she's got these, like, jewels or something in her hair, which makes yeah. her even look hotter to me. So Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. These cool. jewels that are in the shape of a moon, star, suns. She's got <laughs> black hair, but they're all gold, these jewels woven mm-hmm. into her hair. And then that's, yeah. that's a very unique look. I haven't seen that in comics mm-hmm. yet. So she's a unique evil priestess, almost Ebora-esque, <laughs> if you <laughs> harken back to Doctor Strange and Ebora. But then mm-hmm. Conan knocks, well, first he frees himself in a burst of strength. He just tears these cultists from him, knocks over the brazier, yeah. and then everything's plunged into dark. Well, everything was dark before because they kept the brazier. Yeah. Then Conan knocks it over, spilling the burning oil on the floor. And then in the light... You see this one-eyed bat demon who shows mm-hmm. up. Well, actually, it's just a giant bat with one eye. And yeah. it might not even be a god. This might just be these people worshipping this monster who came to snatch a girl once. And then they mm-hmm. keep offering a girl up to him once a month for hundreds of years. And its descendants got used to it. Who knows? And it kept coming in to feed once a month. <laughs> it might not even be a god. It certainly doesn't act like a god. It's very animal-like. Well, yeah, like as everybody's panicking and going wild because, you know, they haven't actually seen this creature before because it's usually pitch dark and it just usually grabs the girl and takes off. So they really might only just know like an outline. So all these priests are going like ape because they're scared of the creature, but Conan's not. So he's just like, I'm going to go save this chick because it grabs Jenna and then he jumps on the back of it and he has the uh, priestess in tow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is fantastic. Conan decides, okay, since the priestess might be able to control this bat demon, she's going along for the ride. So he grabs her, leaps on top of the bat demon's back with Jenna in its claws. Now, this is like you said, it's the inverse of what it appears on the cover, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're saying, Jenna lets, lets loose a long shriek of, of one who hovers on the brink of madness. And <laughs> yeah. Conan, he he still has this brazier in his hand, so he keeps battering the bat with this brazier, burning it, and it's susceptible to fire damage because it's plunging into the desert. And then with a the final sweep, Conan smashes it in the face, so the demon dies, but Conan is also knocked unconscious by the impact as it lands in the desert. 
Yeah. The priestess, though, she's bent on revenge. She says, how dare you kill our god? And then Conan wakes, well, he's showing signs of waking up, and she just pulls this dagger from a sheath and about to carve him up like a turkey. Mm-hmm. And then, again, with the brazier, Jenna saves Conan by knocking her out. And then... It kills her. Yeah. Conan falls asleep. <laughs> well, he's probably got a concussion. Yeah, Jenna kills her because she's dead. I mean, her yeah. dead body's lying right next to Conan there in the desert when he wakes up hours later. And then she has stolen his heart. Well, both of his mm-hmm. hearts. She's stolen yeah. his heart. <laughs> she broke his heart. And then she stole the golden one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Conan doesn't even go back to Shadowzar to hunt her down because he's got a broken heart. He just looks at the city and he says, Fare thee well, ancient city. At last, I know why they named thee Shadazar the Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I've had enough of this crap. So, mm-hmm. believe fantastic issue. I just absolutely love this one. I can, I, I know why Roy says this is one of his favorites. It's not my favorite. There are other more uh, uh, awesome issues to come. But I yeah. can understand why Roy would say this is a favorite. Yeah, it's a fun issue. You know what I mean? It's... Sometimes if you would try to read, you know, like an entire trade of Conan in one sitting, you might find, you know, some of the stories are a little formulaic. So it might not be best to do that. But you read two or three at a shot and they're just always a fun read. You know, uh, Roy Thomas really had Conan's uh, voice down here really well. That's right. Now, listen, this is some uh, trivia for you here. Roy based the character of Jenna on Bridget O'Shaughnessy from the Dashiell Hammett uh, novel, The Maltese Falcon, and the movie, right, Billy? Mm, okay. Yeah, he's yeah. gone on to, to say that, to mention that. And he says, the blacksmith called Maldese even mentions that the heart he forges is not as fine as the falcon he once forged. Well, you know, that's so funny. The Maltese Falcon, <laughs> Billy yeah. put, uh, you know, he put that in there, man. <laughs> Roy put that in there, yeah. too, for, for fans of uh, the classic movie. And, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Dashiell Hammett's uh, novels. And then yeah. uh, he also says that there's an error that they uh, perpetrated here. Well, that Roy perpetrated. He says that uh, Jenna mentions that she once ventured to Aquilonia. You know, when mm-hmm. she first met Conan and they're talking about where Conan has traveled. Jenna yeah. ventured to Aquilonia and she saw King Numidides uh, of Aquilonia, the king that Conan will eventually end up killing and taking the crown from. Mm-hmm. Much later in his life when he becomes King Conan. Now, this yeah. is, is uh, factually incorrect because King Numidides was not king at this point in time during young Conan's life. It was King Valeris. No. Yeah. So Roy acknowledges the error and he says, but it could also be that Jenna, being a liar, much like Bridget O'Shaughnessy was, it could have been <laughs> that she saw the young prince Numidides and then just ended up calling him a king to make it seem more spectacular. <laughs> you know, the story. <laughs> right. And then mm-hmm. he says that, yeah, the reason why they ditched the helmet is in this was not because Jenna said that the the helmet damaged her head, which it did when Conan kissed <laughs> her under the palm trees, right? Yeah. But because when um, Barry Windsor Smith sent in the pencils of this issue, he wrote in the sign lines is that he's getting tired of drawing Conan with the helmet because it makes Conan look like a yak. And Roy was so taken by that line that he put that line into the the issue where Jenna says, yeah. get rid of the helmet. It makes you look like a yak. <laughs> and then we never see Conan wearing this helmet again. We'll see him wearing other helms during his mercenary years and so forth. And 
But yeah, he will never wear this horned helmet again, which he wore during the first six issues of his initial run. Mm-hmm. So goodbye to this this look, right, Billy? Roy and uh, Barry Windsor Smith's uh, two tales, Devil Wings Over Shadazar and uh, Tower of the Elephant, were nominated in 1971 by the Academy of Comic Book Arts as Best Story. So they got two nominations. Um, wow. And... It's uh, and then Roy was nominated as best writer along with uh, uh, who was it Archie Goodwin I think and Danny O'Neill and mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, Roy won you know as best writer and they also ca- uh, came away in 1970 with a pair of Shazam awards for best continuing feature and Roy as best cool. writer on Conan and the Avengers was nominated for Best Continuing Feature, and it was up against Green Lantern, Green Arrow by Neil Adams, right? And The Amazing Spider-Man by Jerry Conway at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, Ross Andrew, I think, was penciling uh, Amazing Spider-Man. So, wow, they were up against some stiff competition. Yeah. And then Barry Windsor Smith went on to win the Outstanding New Talent Award in in 1970, solely based off of his work on Conan interesting story now let's head off to call billy you're gonna give us the details mm-hmm. about this issue and then i'm gonna go with the synopsis mm-hmm. first what do you have for us we'll be back after a quick break ever wish you could sip cocktails and discuss great books with your friends while hanging out in a rundown piano bar here on the literary guys podcast that's what we do i'm dr gordon McCallan, and i'm author zachary kellyan Each month, we discuss books from two different views of modern masculinity. From both a gay and a straight perspective. From To Kill a Mockingbird to future governors in the jungle trying to kill a predator. We welcome everyone to join our conversation on the good and toxic of what literature and pop culture have to say about masculinity. So pour yourself a drink and join us now for Season 3. Literary Guys. That's G-U-I-S-E. LiteraryGuys.com. I see what you did there. So, yeah, so call number six, like you said, uh, from 1972, uh, cover date 1973, January. Uh, this one is uh, Jerry Conway uh, writing and Marie and John Seven artists, John Costanza letterer. And uh, we have the cover is also by uh, John and Marie Severin and uh, with Marie doing the colors and the inks and then uh, Dave Hunt the letters. Now, this is one of my favorite covers, Billy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Dude, look yeah, at that cover. One. We're going to get into this now, <laughs> but I'll, we'll hit off with the synopses first. Mm-hmm. All right, this is mine. After killing a giant bear in a gladiatorial pit, King Cull makes the acquaintance of Zarkus the Traveler, who recently delivered forbidden scrolls to Volusia, scrolls that a librarian uses to awaken a Lovecraftian slug living in the undercity beneath the streets. Our story culminates in a descent into hellish caverns to hunt the beast. One of Cull's party meets a sinister fate when he stops to smell the flowers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a descent into the weird. <laughs> so, uh, Billy, what do you have? Okay, so the tale begins with Cull and Ducalon fighting a giant bear. The humongous creature seems to get the upper hand, but Brule and a stranger named Zarkus help out. Then the librarian tells Cull of an ancient city beneath Volusia that is home to treasure and knowledge but a dark secret as well mm, excellent 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 now this is totally Cthulhu-esque here 
<laughs> got Lovecraftian yeah. horror out the wazoo here. Giant slugs, very similar to Robert E. Howard's Valley of the Worm as well. That tale mm-hmm. that featured another barbarian. And the cover itself is great. Got this great little corner box art of Cole. Funnily enough, believe the very next Conan tale that we d- will discuss in episode seven of Radio Free Hyboria, which is Conan the Barbarian number seven, is called The Lurker Within. Mm-hmm. This is The Lurker from below. Very, very strange how these <laughs> things synchronize. It didn't exactly synchronize. Mm-hmm. If that was issue seven of Colin, issue seven of Conan, it would have synchronized. But, you know, <laughs> somehow it's it's closely related. So the lurker mm-hmm. from below. All right. So here we have uh, the first opening page. Uh, the story Oof. starts in Medias Res, right? Believe the Volusians and Cull and Brule the Pig Slayer, everybody, even old Kanu, they were watching uh, gladiatorial match against one of the finest Volusian gladiators finding a cave bear or something or a grizzly bear. And a then... Verulean bear. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's what it's called. Yeah. And then the mm-hmm. bear got the better of the gladiator and mm-hmm. little dwarfish, um, you know, a little person, Ducalon, accidentally mm-hmm. tumbled into the pit, you know, as the people <laughs> surged forward to get a better look at what this bear is going to do to the, the dead body of this gladiator. And Cole mm-hmm. leapt in to save him. What? One of the conspirators and Cole would still want to save his life? I mean, Ducalon <laughs> scum, really. Yeah. And then Cole and this bear get it on. They guess start fighting. And But mm-hmm. it's, he obviously couldn't slay this bear. It's just this giant grizzly. Now he's cutting mm-hmm. with the sword and everything, but he needs help. And Ducalon sort of gives it. He hurls his sword into the bear's midriff and then makes a run for it. He climbs up this <laughs> rope ladder. To, yeah. And and then we've got some of the conspirators saying, let's help the king or help Ducalon at least. And Redondo the minstrel says, I'll waste no song on a dead man, nor should you waste such a fine blade, my friend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so they don't want, they want Cull to die. Luckily, one of the mm-hmm. advisors gets Brule and he comes running. Brule wasn't actually watching this. He, he was a couple of minutes no. away, right? Mm-hmm. And Cull yeah. is swinging away at this bear. And then someone unknown leaps to Cull's defense. Who? What's happening here, Billy? Who is this unknown savior who ends up saving Cull's hide? Yeah, this is Zarkus. And uh, yeah, <laughs> this great panel where he just leaps into the pit with an axe and jumps on the bear's like neck and shoulders area. And he starts whacking away with this axe. Brule then jumps in with the spear and starts stabbing him. And then, of course, you know, Cull's still going to town with his sword there, too. So the three of them end up putting this bear down, and its tongue is hanging out of its yeah. mouth and everything. He, this, this poor innocent bear, he was just there for sport, you know, to see a gladiatorial bout where people would kill this bear. So mm-hmm. this is really reprehensible that they would slaughter this poor animal. But, of course, they have to save Cull, save his life. But, I mean, Cull leapt into the ring. He should have just let the bear have Ducalon and then set the bear free later on. <laughs> yeah but he doesn't they they slaughter this mm-hmm. bear and then uh the next page is zarkus cleaning the blade of his axe and then Cole is suitably impressed by this guy and he's got this evil grin on his face this perpetual grin right the zarkus guy oh yeah but Cole mm-hmm. likes this dude because he saved his life and he offers him a meal and some drink <laughs> and then mm-hmm. he says what are you doing in Volusia?" well he says to him um that uh he, he like, oh, I'm your grateful servant and all this stuff. And like I said, then he has these like scrolls and maps that show that there was, you know, an ancient city and it resides now 
right underneath them. And, uh, you know, there's all these riches and gold and all this knowledge, knowledge. there. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we see this guy's a real creep. You can tell just by the way he looks and the way he talks that he's not a good guy. <laughs> That's right. He wants called to send an expedition down there to, to claim the riches of this ancient forbidden city beneath. But two remembers though, uh, what happened mm. in a couple of generations back. He says that this is suicide. This you're sending good men to their deaths. Um, yeah. la the last time someone ventured beneath the city, the water of the city suddenly became poison and lots of folks died. And then two men headed off into the city to investigate the source of this, these, this poisoned water. And they came back mad. And then it was, one of them was a sorcerer who went, you know, beneath. And then his head was taken by the then king of Elusia in repayment and after the sorcerer perished the one who went beneath to stir things up in the forbidden city whatever magic he practiced there after he died the water became fresh again and clear and then the librarian mm -hmm. says but the treasure the knowledge and then Cull just says <laughs> gold enough in Volusia librarian as for knowledge speak instead <laughs> of tangible things like the hilt of a sword the pain of a thrusting blade so basically what <laughs> Cull is saying he he does not like academics he doesn't like knowledge and studying and books and scrolls mm -hmm. and libraries so get thee gone librarian <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you can see right away he's pissed off about it but then yeah. we are have our buddy zarkis here who uh goes into his chambers here at night and sticks his axe to his throat and <laughs> basically says to him he wants more gold yeah, he's going to blackmail him. He says if he doesn't give him more gold, he's going to rat him out to the king because the scrolls are not just about the forbidden city beneath. It's also filled with spells and ancient dark magics that can awaken whatever sleeps beneath the city. Sarkis mm -hmm. knows this, so he's going to tell the king about it unless the librarian keeps paying him. <laughs> so he uh -huh. walks away with a fat purse of gold. Yeah, all of a sudden, you know, you have... Uh... Call and Brule, and Brule's like on a horse, and he's just going down the street, you know, minding his own business. And like something starts coming up from underneath the street, and like destroying the street. And we see just, uh, you know, a glimpse of something here. You know, obviously, you saw <laughs> a lot more than a glimpse on the cover, but inside here, this is the first glimpse you're getting at, you know, some kind of monstrosity underneath the street and starts smashing its way up. Yeah, it's just the what would you call it? The backside of this it's back, creature, yeah. but it seems to be this giant worm. And Cull starts hacking away at a brutal spear, you know, has no effect. And then the thing <laughs> disappears below. They almost tumbled into this crack that it created and they're saved again mm -hmm. by Zarkus. So this marks the second time in Cull's estimation that Zarkus has saved him. So now he's really in Cull's good books. In fact, he's been offered a commission in the Black Legion. Yeah. And then we cut back to the librarian who's the, the cause of this. It seems that he was... Now, this is taken directly from Lovecraft. Billy, if you think about it, these cities, like the name, the story of the Nameless City or At the Mountains mm. of Mandis, there's also, yeah. there's always this sinister piping sound that by, normally by a white monkey-like creature who blows the, these pipes that call these horrors forth <laughs> from the bowels of the earth in many Lovecraft tales. Now, this is definitely it. Uh, one of these scrolls has the spell and uh, it also presumably contained this pipe, which looks like mm -hmm. a clarinet for God's sake. A recorder. And, yeah, or a recorder. <laughs> and this, yeah, librarian's been blowing on the recorder, <laughs> on this pipe. That's why 
the this monstrosity has been awakened in the city beneath. All the bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all the bad stuff's happening because of this stupid idiot. And then I love how they decide they're going to go down there. And I love Cole's, you know, just his vernacular. We'll journey to this kingdom beneath the earth. I will find the beast which haunts our city and befouls our waters. <laughs> yeah. I love how he talks. That's right. He says he's taking the scholar with him, whether he wants to or not, the librarian. He's going to be taken down there in chains. In chains. Ooh. <laughs> he knows he's got <laughs> something great. to do with it, I'm thinking. Call suspects, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. They head down into the bowels and they row on these mm. giant rafts or canoes. Wow. How great is that? Ooh, Page 18. fantastic. Oh, panel. my John gosh. John Marie Severin. They were incredible. Mm. This is Prince Valiant, Hal Foster-esque re- yeah, this- penciling skills. Yeah, them on this comic, when they go into locations like this, it these pages and panels look like something not that was drawn in the 70s, but something that was drawn back in, like you said, by, you know, Hal Foster. Yeah. Back could, in the 30s or 40s. Yeah, yeah, the characters all look like Alex Raymond-drawn characters, and the architecture looks Hal Foster-ish. Yeah, It's incredible, absolutely. really. And then mm-hmm. they this next panel... Which is, uh, I don't know which page is on in the original comic, but because I'm reading in the Chronicles of Cull, Volume 1. But mm-hmm. the ne- next panel that shows them their first glimpse of this undercity. The city, uh, it's got a name, right? But is it Quar? The city of yeah. Quar? Quar or Car, maybe just yeah. even? Because it's Q A R. Yeah. So this city of Car is a sprawling, like Greek themed. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. subterranean metropolis. It's incredible. Yeah. And uh, oh, everybody that page screams. Is ridiculous. Yeah. That's page 21. Ooh. Look at that librarian. He's going absolutely insane. <laughs> he's going, it's like he's do about you to see this blow his, Yeah. <laughs> blow his wad here. <laughs> yeah, it looks like that, right? This is orgasmic <laughs> yeah. for it's him. Like, calm down, dude. And he's uh-huh. all about knowledge. He doesn't really care about the treasure. He heads straight to the library and he says, look at all these scrolls. Uh, it will yeah. take a lifetime to read just, you know, one section. And then, you know, the Red Slayers laugh and they say, well, you won't have much time to read probably not even a single scroll because our uh, Lord, Cull, yeah. has uh, given us the get-go to set fire to the entire city. And that's why they brought all the casks of oil. Yep. Now, previously, the old librarian might have thought that was to kill the worm. But no, it's to burn down the entire city. And he won't have mm-hmm. that, so he's got a draft of this poisoned water, or uh, another yeah. poison he might have concocted wine. himself. Wine. Yeah, some kind of wine. He says, let's drink to the fact that we discovered all this knowledge. And these idiots, they just, <laughs> well, they're probably alcoholics in their own right, <laughs> spending all their oh, pay yeah. on taverns and wenches and so forth. Wenches, yeah. They immediately mm-hmm. take a swig and both are poisoned and die. Well, they say they, they're asleep, right? But. Uh, while Cull and Zarkus and them are admiring the riches of the city, this mm-hmm. tunnel beneath, which seems to be in an aqueduct or something, or like a type yeah. of uh, river, this mm-hmm. creature emerges. And it is the most detailed Lovecraftian slug that I've ever seen. <laughs> Billy, yeah, have you ever wild. seen something like this? This is incredible. No. Look at its eyes. Look at its mouth parts. Look at the ridges on its back, its segments. It's incredible. And then Colin starts swinging. His red slayers are getting eaten. And this worm <laughs> just causes devastation wherever it goes. And then Zarkus decides rather than fight the worm, he'll track down the source of the evil, which is actually the librarian. 
Uh, he unsheaths his sword and kills the dude right there on the spot. <laughs> yeah, he just stabs him to death. He's he's decided that association with this guy will not benefit him in the long run. No. And so he Mm-mm. stabs him to death. Cole, meanwhile, is the last man standing on top of the these this worm and its segments. He's hacking away, burning it with fire, which seems to have a little <laughs> bit better effect. And then he impales it with the torch, which is still blazing. Yeah. And then the creature smashes Cole through this Greek column and Cole's unconscious, probably dead. He's thought dead by his his um, legions. And there's a, a picture there where he looks like John Rambo because they tie this headband <laughs> around his head to stem the blood from a scalp wound. Look at that. That Doesn't that look he like does. Rambo? He's <laughs> even got he the does. scar. Absolutely. You know the scar that Rambo got in, what was it, um, Rambo 2? You know, First Blood Part 2? When he headed back mm-hmm. to Vietnam, he got the scar. Um, he yeah. he's got the scar across his eyes, and then this was ten years before Rambo. <laughs> I'm oh yeah. You. And then they end up dousing this worm with oil, and they're gonna burn it. But before that, what does Old Zarkus do? He stops to smell the roses. Idiot. Yeah. Yeah, he stops because he sees like this grassy patch with these purple flowers in there. And, you know, the caption boxes basically tell you, you know, that, you know, it's a deadly plant. And, you know, even just the aroma, I guess, you know, you stick your nose in it. And that's basically what killed the people that lived there before. Yeah, these poisonous lotus-like flowers. They kind of look like orchids that sprouted up Mm -hmm. beneath the earth. That's what uh, led to the death of the population. And that's also what's probably poisoning the waters. But not mm-hmm. really. I think it's more to do with the worm. When the worm wakes up, it sort of fouls the waters and turns it poison. It looks kind of, this flower <laughs> looks kind of like the Black Mercy, you know, from the Superman comics that Mongol, the Superman enemy used on Superman frequently. It also showed up in the mm-hmm. in the cartoon and, you know, in one of the DC animated movies, the Black Mercy. And then, mm-hmm. as they said, fire to this worm. Cull muses about what killed the people of the lost city of Quar, and then the answer is given mm-hmm. in the final panel when we see the dead Zarkus lying with this flower on his chest, uh, mm-hmm. killed by its poison. And I like the way it finishes. It says that, uh, nor does he ever know that in the fate of one lies the fate of the other, that the poison flowers which destroyed a race have also destroyed a man. Because he cared too little for great things and too much for small. All right, we hope you enjoyed that, weirdos. A brief discussion of our favorite barbarian, Conan, and my second favorite conqueror, Cull the Conqueror. Now, you know why I mentioned that? Because we'll soon be talking about my number one favorite character with the nom de guerre of a conqueror and uh, that's coming up in a few days time so until then we hope you stay cool stay weird above all stay away from these Lovecraftian nasties that keep cropping up in the pages that I discussed and tune in again to sink into the weird in a couple of days time for another Marvel Comics centric discussion take it easy I'm out of here Bye-bye, weirdos.